boys and girls, and welcome once again to this seance of sound that we simply call Scry. I am the Seer, your host into this journey into the realms of shadows and darkness. But don't worry, for I shall keep the wickedness at bay. In this episode, I will be conjuring forth four true tales of paranormal encounters. Some that have some pretty dark and disturbing content. So for you parents out there, remember, this show is marked explicit for a reason. Now, let's get started, shall we? As I stare into the obsidian mirror, I see a story that was submitted by Kyle J. Let's listen to his tale. So this happened back in the mid-90s, when like most of my teenage friends, I got online for the first time thanks to the overabundance of AOL CDs. My friends and I were night owls, and we all shared an interest in things that were creepy. We had heard some various legends that surrounded our fair state of Texas, and used our new access to the World Wide Web to try and find some places nearby that held that creep factor that provided us with a mixed bag of adrenaline, fear, spookiness, and fun. We were able to find a few places in our town that we had all heard stories about and already visited with nothing out of the ordinary to experience. So we expanded our search a bit further out. We came across one legend that came from a small town about an hour down the road. And when I say small town, I mean small. Population of maybe a few hundred at tops. Anyway, the story that we found online was pretty short and nonspecific. It basically stated that there was a cemetery at the end of the main road in town that had reports of people seeing shadows moving throughout it. Shadows that didn't belong to anyone or anything that was living. The story also mentioned an old church that sat on the same road that led into town. The church was also rumored to be haunted by the ghost of an old preacher from the late 1800s who was shot and killed on the church grounds. Being idiots in need of a good time, we packed ourselves into my friend John's car. There were three other people besides John and I. Mike, Danny, and Danny's girlfriend, Jesse. We're driving down the highway, laughing and having a good time. <laughs> Such a good time that we missed the exit we needed to reach this small town. And by the time that we noticed, we decided that the night was still young and that we would just backtrack and continue with our planned expedition. 
It was roughly one in the morning when we finally pulled into the small town. And the old church was prominently on display in the town's layout. It also had many of the town's homes nearby it, so we decided not to check it out. I do remember that Jessie had said that the place had a weird vibe to it, but she didn't elaborate on it, so we really didn't pay it any mind and just figured that it added to the supposed creep factor of the cemetery that we were headed to. We made our way down the main street in town, and the houses began to thin out. And then, a short ways further, the road came to a dead end at two rock pillars that housed an iron gate. We had arrived and noticed a locked chain on the gate and knew that it would not stop us. After all, the rest of the fence was old and banged up and easy to leap over. So we go over the fence, which was maybe six feet tall, but easy enough to scramble over. We go further into the cemetery and are roughly in the center of it when Mike tells us to be quiet so we all stop talking. We're listening, and we don't hear anything. One of us asked Mike what he heard, and he tells us that's just it. He doesn't hear anything. No bugs. No wind going through the leaves. Just the noise that we are making. We joke about it being spooky and laugh it off and begin to give Mike a hard time. (laughs) That is, until Jesse begins to call for Danny, who tells us to shut up. We look at them, and they're looking past us. We turn around to see what they are looking at. And there are these shadows at the far end of the cemetery near the tree line. They look like men, only larger. And one of them looked like a large dog. They begin to move towards each other, and they, as fucked up as it sounds, they merge into each other becoming one solid form. That of a much larger man with elongated arms. I don't recall this bit, but both John and Mike said that they saw red eyes. What I do recall is that this thing started our way and it was moving at a pretty good pace. So we turned tail and ran back to the fence. Danny and Jesse both ran track and beat the rest of us to the fence, making it up and over without any problem. Mike and I hit the fence at the same time and also made it up without issue. John had fallen behind and we were yelling at him to hurry. 
we could see the shadow figure behind him giving chase. It was like a lion chasing a gazelle, and all we could do was watch. Finally, John hit the fence and started climbing. We all knew he wasn't going to make it. Mike went back up the fence, straddled it, and pulled John over, with the both of them crashing to the ground. The shadow, or whatever the fuck it was, stopped at the fence and kind of paced back and forth, looking at us. I don't think it could leave the cemetery, even though I knew that it wanted to. It wanted to get us. It wanted to hurt us. It wanted us and let out a roar, letting us know that it was pissed. We all packed ourselves back into John's car, ready to get the fuck out of that place. As we were leaving that town, we drove back down the main street. All of the porch lights were now on, and there were people in all the yards watching us as we drove by. They did not look happy with us in the slightest. John could sense the tension and the residents' hostility and floored it back to the road that led to the highway. We had all nearly shit ourselves in that town multiple times. It wasn't until Jesse mentioned something else about that night, something that we had all seen without realizing it, that the final shivers would run down our spine. It was a sign, or more of a symbol. Sort of like one of those medieval crosses with the multiple crossbars mixed with the Blue Oyster Cult logo. We had seen it on the iron gates of the cemetery. It was on many of the houses when their porch lights were on. And it was on that spooky-ass church. I've always wondered if that town didn't practice some dark religion and that the thing in the cemetery was part of it somehow. Or maybe it was some sort of protection symbol the residents used to keep them safe from that shadow. I don't know what it was or much about what caused the events of that night. But I do know that I will never go back to that town again. Kyle, thank you for submitting that story. That is certainly a creepy and unusual encounter. Thankfully, you and your friends were able to make it out of that town intact. Now, I normally try not to edit stories that are submitted to Scry, but in the sake of honesty to my audience, I did edit out the name of that Texas town. 
I don't want to be responsible for people trespassing or causing vandalism. And I'm not going to include enough information for people to find a physical location, unless it is a very well-known location with public access. Thanks again, Kyle, for that story. Next, we hear from Trapper60, who tells of his puppy, a young boy, and an elderly visitor. Here is his story. I grew up in a 100-year-old house. When I was a boy of about six, my parents got a puppy for my sister and myself. The first few nights, we kept it in a big, open cardboard box with a hot water bottle and a ticking clock to simulate his litter mates. Things went well for a couple of nights, but one night, I awoke to the sound of the puppy crying. I got out of bed to comfort the puppy, and when I left my room, there was just enough light to see without turning any lights on. I rounded the corner into the living room, and adjacent to that room was a dining room that we had the puppy in. I looked over at the box to see a young boy about my age bent over looking into the box. What scared me was that he was translucent. I did a 180 and ran back to my room and covered my head up in the bed sheets and in a while I fell asleep and woke up in the morning. I never told anybody about what I had seen, but there was always an unsaid understanding among our family that we were not alone while living there. While I did not see the little boy anymore, having lived there 19 years, there were many odd little things that happened that we learned to take for granted. I was 18 and my folks and sister were gone somewhere and I was outside washing my motorcycle when I noticed an old man coming up to the house. He introduced himself and said that he was born and raised there. Somewhere in our conversation, he asked if he could go inside and look around. Him being 90 and my being 18 and invincible, I said yes. As we went through the house, he told me many things about the history of living there, and it was pretty interesting. We got to the end of the house where my room was, and I told him that it was my room. He didn't go in, but stared at the doorway for a little bit. My brother died in this room when he was six of smallpox, he said. He turned, thanked me, and left through the front door, and I never saw him again. 
It didn't bother me at the time, but I thought of the rough times in those days, and I hoped his brother found some peace. Trapper 60, thank you for sharing that story. I've always wanted to go and visit my childhood homes and act like some great family tragedy happened there, just to mess with the current owners. But I don't think that the old man who visited you has my demented sense of humor, and his reminiscences were likely true. Thank you again for sharing that story with us. When we return, we will hear from Lunatech and learn why you shouldn't enter abandoned homes. This is Edward October, Sunday morning, and I'm here at a typical American home. But inside, Jen and Cam of our true crime podcast sit down to record their latest episode. Though Jen and Cam are lifelong friends, they approach true crime with the utmost professionalism. Their focus... So, 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 what do you... Highly articulate... Alachua, is that how you say it? Um, right. Alachua, like Joshua, but Alachua. Alachua. <laughs> you will Alachua onto my... And above all, compassionate. Honestly, I debated if I wanted to do this. And in the end, I decided it was important to honor this baby's short life. Every day, more folks wake up hungry for a true crime podcast. And our true crime podcast is enjoyed best by more people. So whenever you're downloading any podcast of any kind, be sure to download an extra episode of our true crime podcast. You'll like them. Available on all your favorite podcatchers or at OurTrueCrimePodcast.com. See this? The mouth? It gets me in trouble. Scry. Welcome back to Scry. Lunatech shares a story about he and a group of friends who decide to check out an old home before going out to party as a teenager. Longtime listeners may recall past stories shared by those who entered abandoned buildings. How did that work out for them? Let's see if it turns out any different for Lunatech. I grew up in Tennessee, about one mile from the Tennessee-Kentucky state line. There's actually a road there named State Line Road, which is where this took place. Now keep in mind, I grew up in the country. My nearest neighbor was about five miles away, and town was about 20 miles, and not much spooked me. There was an old house on that road that we all called the Old Stovald Place. The story was that old man Stovald killed his wife and daughter and then killed himself in that house. I knew the man who owned it and had been in and around it many times while working for him in his tobacco fields as a teenager. And I always had a very uneasy feeling while there. 
there was a bridge out there that we used to go to and party at because there were no houses anywhere around. Me and three of my friends, along with our girlfriends, were going to party at the bridge one Saturday night. But I told my buddies, we should stop by the Stovald place to get the girls creeped out a little and then go to the bridge. We arrived at the house after dark. All the party supplies were still untouched, by the way. And we went in the side door, which entered the kitchen. There were two rooms in the back of the house, the kitchen and dining room, and two rooms in the front, with a hallway and stairway splitting the front two rooms. Once we got in, I had that feeling. You know, the one telling you to get out, but I ignored it. We investigated the back two rooms, and the girls were getting freaked out a little, which was our goal. We then entered one of the front rooms from the kitchen. Looking through the hallway into the other room, I told everyone that that is where they found old man Stovall dead. At least, that's what the current landowner had told me. I looked at my best friend and said, Let's go check it out. (laughs) The girls were getting really freaked out as my buddy and I headed toward the room. As we entered the hallway, the wind picked up like crazy outside. Like someone had turned on a switch. And we both felt an ice-cold blast that seems to come from everywhere at once. It was a dead calm crystal clear night out by the way we left the hall and went back to the room with our friends and the wind immediately quit like a switch just turned off we all looked at each other with a what the heck just happened look and I then got a totally different feeling it was a feeling of sadness anger, but mostly evil. That is the only way I know to describe it. We went into the hallway again, and again, the wind picked up, and it quit as soon as we left the hallway. This time, we all agreed that we had to leave. That evil feeling was almost overwhelming now. We didn't waste any time getting to the cars. But when my girlfriend and I got in the front seats, she screamed, What the hell is that in the door? Oh, fuck. I looked at the doorway we had just exited, and I saw a dark shadow in the form of a man with glowing red eyes and it seemed to just stare at us. We peeled out of there and made it to the bridge in record time. The group in the other car got out at the bridge and yelled, 
What the heck was that in the doorway? Did you all see that? Holy shit! I'm sure that was some form of old man Stovald staring at us. It took a while to shake that evil feeling completely. I never went back to that house, and when I told the owner what had happened, he confirmed that he has had the same feeling around that house. He tore it down about six months later. Good riddance. I still get goosebumps when I tell this experience. It was 1987, I was 17, but I still remember it like it was yesterday. Scry. Lunatic, that was certainly a chilling tale. Thank you again for sharing that. Out of the three tales shared thus far, Two have had shadow beings with those glowing red eyes. Ah, oh, fuck it. Let's go ahead and listen to another tale with a shadow walker. Shared by Swamp Shadow is his tale of encountering something strange when bringing his new baby home. The setting was in a small western Kentucky town, where I grew up not long after marrying my high school sweetheart. We looked at a trailer to rent in a smallish trailer park on the edge of town. It was pretty nice until we came to the master bedroom. The mattress on the bed had a large blood stain on it that stretched nearly all the way across the mattress near the head of the bed. Um. The landlord acted ashamed and said that she had told Rodney, her maintenance man, to get rid of it. I'm so sorry. I asked her what had happened, and she quipped that evidently somebody had lost their cherry. Odd. At the head of the bed? Oh well. We rented it and moved our own bed in. Found out that Rodney was a strange dude, but very helpful. We had been living there for almost a year and had our first son now, an infant. That's when strange things started happening in the trailer. Things started moving from one place to another, like from the kitchen to the bedroom, the baby's room to the bedroom, the bathroom to the bedroom, always to the master bedroom. We blamed it on each other. It's your fault. One night, we heard a very close but muffled sounding gunshot and we both jumped out of bed to check on the baby. He was wide awake, but unharmed. My then-wife started looking out of the windows and throughout the trailer, but I went straight to my gun cabinet to check in there, even though I was sure none of my guns had been loaded. 
nothing. We were convinced that it had come from inside of the trailer. Our bedroom, to be exact. But there was no evidence to prove it. That was the first time we seriously discussed the blood-stained mattress and what may have caused it. The next day, I looked Rodney up and point-blank asked him what had happened in the trailer before we moved in. What happened here? He said that he wasn't supposed to say, but he could tell that something had happened. He told me that the previous tenant had put a pistol to his head and committed suicide right there in that bed. I felt like I had been punched in the gut and now knew what we had heard. That day, we decided to move, but we still had to find another place. Two nights after the gunshot incident, we were awakened by what I can only describe as the baby's terrified screaming. We both ran over each other, running down the narrow hall to his room. She got there first, with me right on her heels. When she turned on the light, we both saw a dark shadow over the crib for a brief second before it shot straight into a wall and disappeared. She grabbed the baby and took him out of the room. We were both stunned to find that the baby's skin was very cold to the touch and it took quite some time to get him calmed down. I was both scared and pissed now. Something was messing with our child and I didn't know how to protect my own family against this presence. We moved in with my parents the next day until we found another place and there were no more incidents after that. I bumped into Rodney about a month later and asked him for more details of the suicidal man. He said that the young couple had moved in. She was well along in her pregnancy, but the child was born very sick and passed away at around two months old. They were obviously distraught, but she took it very hard and for some reason blamed him for the baby being born sick. The relationship eventually dissolved, and she left him. Less than a week later, he committed suicide. To me, that was a plausible explanation for why the events didn't start happening until we brought our newborn child into the trailer. I am stubborn, and I eventually decided that I still wasn't 100% convinced that what had happened there was paranormal. Even though, I couldn't explain it any other way. Scry.
Thank you, Swamp Shadow, for that tale. I can't blame you one bit for finding a new place to live with such quickness. Suicide has popped up in a couple of the episode's stories, and I just have to say that no matter how down you may be, or how hard life may kick you, it's not something that I consider as an option. If any of you hearing this ever feel suicidal, feel free to reach out to me. I'm always here. And if you don't want to talk to me, then please call the National Suicide Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. You are too valuable to lose. And with that, it is once again time to close the gate and end this odyssey into the obsidian. Thank you to those who have shared their tales. I think this episode actually puts us at our 100th story shared. And don't forget, if you have a story to share, you can submit it at scrypod.com, scrypodcast at gmail.com, or leave a voicemail at 573-203-8668. I'm looking forward to sharing that 1000th story, so get those encounters in. Special thanks to Mew, whose music appeared in our stories, courtesy of a Creative Commons license. Check out the show notes for more info on this insanely talented individual. And now that this episode is coming to a close, why not head over and check out our True Crime Podcast, our podcast recommendation for this episode. Packed full of great research and great presentation, our true crime podcast is simply fascinating. Check out the show notes for a link to them. And with that, it is once again time to close the gate. And as always, say goodbye. This is Scry. <laughs>